This podcast is lit. If you have low test scores, I feel bad for you, son. I got 99 problems, but my class ain't one. Hit me! 99 problems, but my class ain't one. If your test scores are low, I feel bad for you, son. I got 99 problems, but my class ain't one. Hello, and welcome to Prospectors Department's second podcast entitled This Podcast is Lit. Um, today we're going to be talking about our second poem in the anthology and um, it's called London by William Blake and I'm joined in the studio with Mr. Ackroyd. Hello, Mr. Hello. Miss Ray, hello. Hello. Mr. Jew, how are you doing? Good, thanks. And you, the live studio audience. Fantastic to see so many people uh, following our podcast. Remember to um, hit us up, uh, subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends, let everybody know about the podcast. We've had some really nice feedback. Um, We've had a few reviews. People saying that they like the way that we roast one another. I have to say, it looks like we've got um, someone who's come out very well from all of this, Mr. Ackroyd, getting himself a bit of a fan club. Um, So um, (laughs) a few people have been saying that they're quite what? impressed what? with the way he took me down last time, so I think we'll have to look for some retribution there in today's podcast. I've What's always a been the biggest club? fan, Mr. Ackroyd. What, what is a fan club? <laughs> good question, good question. What is a fan club? Um, well, apparently you're starting to get one, sir, so um, certainly today um, I'm going to be seeking some revenge. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the poems. What do we think about this poem then? We'll start with you today, uh, Miss Ray. What do you think about this poem, London by William Blake? I really like it. Um, what I like is that actually it's about a city that isn't a million miles away from us and that actually majority of us have probably visited at some point. And even if we haven't, it's a city that we have this kind of idea about. It's quite glamorous. It's quite attractive. It's quite... It seems very rich and seems very wealthy and very bougie, but there are those little pockets of almost like an undercity there, the underclass that we don't get to see quite as much. And I quite like the fact that Blake forefronts that part of it. Um, And I do like the fact that by reading this poem and discussing this poem, it does force people to think about who is in control and whether things like cities and nature, like rivers and the Thames, whether they should be under anyone's control. I think that's a really important discussion to have. Yeah, London is famous for um, having a million pound house next to a block of flats, for example, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Um, I believe that out of all the cities in the world, it can be um, the most uneven at times. You know, literally down the same street, you'll have extreme wealth and extreme poverty. Hmm. And um, therefore, it's kind of a perfect setting for a poem of this nature. Mr. Ratcoy, what do you think about the poem? Yeah, I mean, I, I like the poem. I, I look at it more from Blake's perspective. I, I just really like William Blake. And this is this is a guy who wasn't well known as, in his own time, was, was ignored, um, that has almost gained more importance century by century. So, that, you know, he's influenced so many artists now. They look up to him as some kind of, you know, prophetic king in a way. And how brave he was to critique London at this time because I alluded yeah. to it in the in the lesson but 
you know, London was in the beginning of its kind of economic kind of, it was a powerhouse. It was banging its, banging the drum, beating its chest. And Blake looked it straight in the eye and took it down and said, I'm not buying your rubbish um, authority. I'm going to tell you what I really think. And for me, that is just so brave. He was a true rebel, true revolutionary. And, you know, he's... The fact that we're reading this poem 250 years later also tells us that, that he knew something that a lot of his peers didn't know as well, that if you create these economic superpowers and if you create these by you know, taking advantage of people, it will last and the, the, the suffering will become never-ending. And we can still see pockets uh, of London now and an underclass, an underbelly that, that's what Blake was describing, I, I just think he, he himself is brilliant and this poem is fantastic. Okay, so for those of you maybe new to the podcast and didn't hear our first um, instalment, this is a panel-style podcast which is going to be covering all things literature. At the moment we're doing poetry, but we may well branch out from that. It's a panel-style which means that the three contestants, myself, Mr. Atcord and Miss Ray, will be... Um, basically competing for points, um, which will be uh, awarded by DJ Sounds at the end of each round. There are three rounds in total, and the person at the end with the most points wins. Our first segment is going to be called Our Poem in a Headline. And Mr. Ackroyd, we didn't really explain what that was last week, did we? Uh, I know this is your invention. Would you like to tell everybody what it is that, that, that this segment's all about? Yeah, I mean, really, it's just a way for, for you individually to remember the poem. I think this is for students. I know we want to, you know, play around a little bit and have a bit of a laugh and not take ourselves too seriously. But this is for students uh, to follow up to to the poem. And they, they have to learn 15 poems, and that's not easy. So one technique that could help them is to almost create a, a newspaper-style headline for each poem. This will just help them remember the, the centre of the poem, what they think the poem is about in a nutshell. And obviously, once they get this in their head, then they can go on and revise key other elements of it. But I think it's that trying to get 15 poems in your head in, at once is not easy. So if you can maybe break it down a little bit, I think that can help. Fantastic. Well, first up this week with her poem in a headline is Miss Ray. I've gone quite short this week, and I'm going for London's Falling. Woo! Nice. Like it. Thanks. As in the song? Maybe. Oh, that's London's Burning, I'm thinking. London's well, Falling. That's a TV show. London Burning's TV show, isn't it? Oh, OK. I don't know. Uh, so that is very short and sweet. Um, what do we think of that studio audience? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> OK. Uh, would you like to explain it, miss? Um, so it alludes to things that have already been mentioned, but the idea that London is almost put on this this pedestal that it was the powerhouse of the country. I think Mr. Ackwood used that phrase, that powerhouse, um, and that Blake was almost prophetic in his in his poem and has said that we can see the start of bad things, and bad things are going to continue to happen if we don't do something about about it. Brilliant. Mr. Oh, sorry. Yes, yes, well done. Um, let's go with Mr. Ackroyd for his poem in a headline. 
Um, I've continued my Game of Thrones style. <laughs> I've actually got two, but I'll only choose one because we've got <laughs> um, But I've gone Game of Thrones again. Um, London is dark and full of terrors. <laughs> London is dark and full of terrors. Uh, you sound like you're from the Night's Watch. Yeah, and again, for context, for the uninitiated, Thank you. Uh, a, a, a mad witch in the programme, basically. Uh, catchphrase was, the night is dark and full of terrors. Beautiful. Nice. Okay, well, um, time for my poem in a headline. <clears throat> um, my poem, my, my, my headline is, stop lying to us the ultimate cover-up of lies. And the reason why I went for that is because one, I wanted to uh, be like a typical journalist and sort of go completely over the top. <laughs> you know how these journalists can be. Um, but I also thought to myself, I think that Blake is, is a bit like a journalist. He's, he's going undercover. He's, he's not looking at what is being presented to us in the media as being this wonderful, magnificent, world-class city. He's actually digging underneath the surface of that a little bit and trying to you know, cover up the... Sorry, not cover up, the opposite of that, showing us the hypocrisy of the place and showing us that, you know, actually, this is quite an awful place and a lot needs sorting out, a lot needs dealing with. And... Um, I think that he's kind of looking at that propaganda and the fact that actually a lot of people are lying. Um, DJ Sounds, over to you. Okay, some uh, really good uh, headlines there. Uh, so we're going to score this out of five. Again, one being the uh, least uh, of my favourites, five being the best. Um, there is a clear favourite for me this week, and we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, but for me, in third place, the weakest one for me was London is dark and full of terrors. A great line, don't get me wrong, but a little bit of a, uh, you know, um, you did the same thing last week, Mr. Aykroyd. You need to watch more TV boring. shows, Mr. Aykroyd. You're starting to represent the establishment, Mr. <laughs> kind of way. Now, I'm calling out your hypocrisy. If, if we were in a class and we were teaching a poem, the poet used used an extended metaphor. For example, one uh, one metaphor in one stanza, then followed that metaphor up in every other stanza. We'd be telling our students how good that is. What a great thing to do. And we're not writing poetry, Mr. Angry. We're analysing poetry. <laughs> Signing, Mr. Jew. You're like the <laughs> wants to take down. So I'm William Blake in this analogy, by the way. <laughs> uh, I'm London in this at the moment. Anyway, thank you. Uh, so I'm going to give you a point off for that. I'm going to take you down uh, two points instead of the three. Uh, so Miss Nagroid, two points. <laughs> Next is Mr. Firkin. Stop lying to me. Oh, it's really um, touching. <laughs> it's really touching. Thank you, Mr. Firkins. 
the studio audience really likes you. They do, don't they? They do, thank you. It really, really sort of seems to have got myself some fans this week. I wonder who's in control of that then. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Jew, go on, do you continue? Uh, very nice headline, a little bit long for me, but very well explained about the undercover and exposing the kind of the kind of hypocrisy of the place. Uh, just a little bit long for me, maybe hard to remember. So for you, you get four. Thank you. For my favourite one, short and sweet, nice and punny, uh, it's London's Falling by Miss Ray. Five points. I don't care about the points this week, I'm above it. They mean nothing to me. <laughs> Reverse psychology, Miss, I like it. Maybe. We'll see. We'll see. I'll come back to that at the end. <laughs> it won it because it was to the point. It kind of capsulated the, the gist of the whole poem and it kind of yeah, gave a quick, very quick reminder of what it's about. Let's be honest, it won because he's sharing my Ricardo account. He's not silly. <laughs> <laughs> Round two. What is the most important quote and why? Okay, what is the most important quote and why? Our second segment. And um, yeah, once again, I'm not winning the podcast at the moment, but we all know that things can change rather quickly, don't we? We are going to be exploring what is the most important quote and why. I'm going first. Um, I am going to be looking at the first verse, the first stanza, where Blake, in the first two lines of the poem, says that he wanders through each chartered street near where the chartered Thames does flow. And the reason why I think this is the most important quote is because William Blake is a romantic poem, and sorry, poet, and like Mr. Ackwood was saying earlier today, romantic in this particular setting doesn't mean that we're talking about love or romance. It's actually more to do with a love of nature. William Blake was somebody, and he was part of a, a big movement at the time, the romantic poets, who believed that nature was more important, more powerful than anything that mankind um, can create. And he looks here at the fact that the Thames itself is chartered. Man is trying to own nature here. Man is trying to you know, use maps and deeds to try and divvy up a natural flowing river. And um, he's got a real issue with that. And the, the fact he repeats the word chartered shows that that humans are trying to compete with nature, but that ultimately this, this is a futile effort and Woo! something that will never um, happen for them. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Next up, Mr. Ackroyd. Yeah. Um, I've gone for the, the last, you've gone for the first, I've gone for the last, the marriage hearse, the and blights with plagues the marriage hearse, and specifically the, the marriage hearse section, which is an oxymoron. Uh, the reason why I've chosen this is the most important quote is there is so much to it. It's just it's two words, but there is so much to say about it. Um, so I'm just going to go through the different elements of that quote. One, it could be a link to specifically, there's a mention of the harlot in the previous line, and it could be a link to um, sexually transmitted diseases that was rife in 18th century London, venereal disease. Blake, another way he was head of his time, um, was he didn't like the way women were treated and it was for women's rights. And he's criticising potentially philandering men here, visiting prostitutes and then taking their, their disease back 
to their their new wives. And there's real critic critique here of their hypocrisy. So it's all about hypocrisy, this poem. So he's calling the men out in that section. Another way we can look at the marriage hearse uh, could be we know Blake was anti-establishment. He, all institutions, he wants to make them fall down, as Miss Ray said in her headline. Is he actually against marriage? Is he saying to marry is to be implicit in the church's control? Woo! The government and the church would, would help kind of sustain marriages, push marriages. You get married in a church. Is he saying that you do this, this could lead to the death of individual freedom, which he was so into as a romantic poem? Another analysis of that. Um, it's a warning. It's a prophecy of the future. Blake had visions as a kid. Is he prophesizing that this new London that's kind of pushing itself out to the world is doomed? Uh, marriage should represent hope, beginnings, future. But for Blake, it's a sign as long as we're tied to it by corrupt institutions, the government and the church, then we are doomed. The future's in danger. Welcome to Blake's dystopia here, a never-ending nightmare of suffering and darkness. Oh, wow, wow, sir. Not quite the reaction that you might have expected from the audience there. Maybe it went on too long. As, as, I, as I know, our listeners are, are, are more intelligent than you make them out to be, Mr. Perkins. We don't want to patronise them. I'm sure they're aware you've got a new toy and you're playing with it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, so far, a bit of a lukewarm reaction to that one. I hope that DJ Sounds is uh, taking that into account when he's doing his <laughs> scoring. Um, over to Miss Ray. Um. I've gone for blackened churches and lots of the reasons behind this are similar to what Mr. Ackroyd has just said. So if you look at the words individually, you look at the word blackened and it makes us think about death. It makes us think about decay. It makes us think about destruction and being burnt. Um, it's also suggests that if something is blackened, something has happened to it. So the idea this is quite a passive word. Um, and then looking at churches, as Mr. Ackroyd has already spoken to us about, actually churches, particularly when Blake was writing, they tended to benchmark all of the important stages of our life. Woo! So you would go to the church when you wanted your child baptised or christened. You would go to the church when you wanted to get married. You would go to the church when you were dying or dead. So the power the church has over you was incredible back then. And we know that Blake was anti-establishment. He didn't like that. He didn't agree with that. But by combining the two words, he's talking to us and he's trying to make us understand that actually the church is corrupt. The church, this powerhouse that is supposed to support and supposed to help you and supposed to look after you, has become corrupt, has become a victim of its own power and is no longer doing what it was set up to do. DJ Sounds of the Scores. Oh, this is a difficult one, actually. Uh, I liked all those quotes. It's ones I'd uh, definitely in my um, ones I'd pick if I was to analyse the poem personally. Um, so this one's a difficult one. Very difficult one. Uh, I think for me, I think there's a joint second places. I don't think I could kind of put oh, a third. That's such a cowardly yeah, thing to do, Mr. Dew. Make a decision. Come on. <laughs> not that the points uh, matter, of course. Can I just point to the point? I'm not interested in the point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think um, 
kind of comes down to how you how you analyzed it, I guess. Then, so that, that's how I'm going to score it. So, for me, then the best quote was Charter. <laughs> Very, very popular decision there, Mr. G. <laughs> uh, for me, Chartered is a very, um, it's quite a strong um, noun in this sense, uh, where it kind of very much encapsulates what was happening to London at the time where everything was being controlled, the idea that they're trying to kind of take over nature, um, and no nature, but in the end it's kind of futile and it's kind of damaging the people within it. And then the other two would feed into it very nicely. <laughs> Um, so the kind of the marriage hearse, the idea of the oxymorons, uh, kind of help to kind of explain the kind of the damages it has on people, not just in their daily lives, but even their home. And then the blackened churches, that big wider picture. Yeah. Um, again, the kind of idea of a corrupt church and how people. I love the idea that it's uh, where people went to benchmark their lives. That was excellent, Miss Ray. Uh, so it's very difficult for me this one. Um, so it'd be five for Chartered and then four and four for the other two. Structure. Right, it's time to talk about structure, baby. We like to talk about structure. At Prospect <laughs> School, we believe it's something that makes a real difference to the way that our students engage with the poems. We believe that if you're looking for grade seven and above, then absolutely you should be really focusing in on structure. Mr. Ackroyd spoke a lot about structure earlier today in his live lessons. So, was there anything that you noticed that came out of that? Yeah, I, I really like the way that some of the students picked out the, the idea. But I think what I'm trying to get at here is that. Students can notice structural elements, but the key to this is not just noticing it, but commenting on why the poets decided to use this particular structure. And some of our students were doing that earlier, and I thought it was great. They were talking about how uh, it's four lines each standard, so it has on the surface a really rigid control element where the government are in control and restraining the, the, the citizens. But if you look underneath the surface, there's a little bit more chaos going, in, going on. So I really like the way that the students were making connections here about the poet's intentions structurally. Mm. Um, and I was really happy to see that. Miss Ray, is there anything you'd like to say about the structure of this poem? Um, I think I would just like to draw on something, actually. I agree with everything Mr. Ackroyd said. I think some of the comments that are coming out of those live lesson discussions are phenomenal, so really well done. But I want to echo what Mr. Ackroyd said about that idea of structure, um, linking to Blake's ideas about power and control. The repetition of every um, that happens the entire way through the poem, together with that regular rhyme scheme, he he is controlling us like he is forcing us to read that poem in a particular way which i think is really interesting when he then uses the phrase mind forged manacles he is essentially creating mind forged manacles for us because he is forcing us to read it in a particular way and it just emphasizes how powerful by controlling the way that somebody thinks how powerful that is and how much you can control them we're always being controlled into seeing the world through the lens in which he's you yeah, know, portraying absolutely. under himself. Yeah. Brilliant. And sort of showing that hypocrisy and showing that things maybe aren't what they seem. Mm -hmm. What you fools don't know 
So let's move on to our final um, scored round. It's called What You Two Fools Don't mm. Know. DJ Sounds, what's the scoring on this particular round? So it's worth double points. So you can have total of 10 points available. And can you run through the scores as they currently stand as well? A bit of a leaderboard. So in the lead at the moment is uh, Miss Ray with a total of 10 points. Points don't matter. Uh, second is Mr. Birkin. <laughs> yeah, and uh, who, who's in last at the moment? Oh, Mr. Aykroyd with a total of six. Yeah, but I think I think that's the key to this, Mr. Perkins, <laughs> is people aren't interested in what the scores are at the moment. Well, the question on everyone's lips are: Are you going to come up with your own idea of what? <laughs> Well, I think the, the crowd has spoken on my behalf, really. I'm not too sure I need to say anything. Thank you, crowd. I appreciate that. Um, right, let's move on to what you two fools don't know. Um, as you went last, Miss Ray, in the most previous round, we'll allow you to go first on this round. But I, I am going to insist on a, on a new rule on this particular one, and that is that um, all responses are going to be capped to one minute. And uh, I have... Uh, I'm sure you can imagine why I've come up with that particular rule. So, Mr. Um, I, I thought it was because he couldn't think of his own ideas. Miss uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Ray, you've got a minute. Insecurities going on there, I think, Miss Ray. Mr. Ackroyd, by minute starting, you are not having any of my time. Back off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Miss Ray, your minute starts now. Okay, so what you two fools don't know is centres around Blake's use of the word marked. Now, I'm certain that learned gentlemen as yourself, you are very well aware of the Cain and Abel story. So Cain and Abel is a biblical tale, and Cain and Abel were the first two sons of Adam and Eve. And the Bible tells us that God asked them to both sacrifice something to prove their love for him. They both did, but actually God preferred Abel's sacrifice. In a fit of anger, Cain then murdered his brother. Cain was then punished and was marked and forced to wander around the earth in a life just of wandering around without any sort of drive, without any sort of ideas about where he was going. 20 seconds left. He's, that is also then considered the potential origin of evil. Is therefore, by using the word marked, is Blake trying to convince us that something bad is about to happen? Is he comparing the chartering of London to what Cain did to his brother? I don't need, I don't need 60 seconds, I'm good. Well done. That was actually three seconds left. So that was a, a remarkable. I think that's three extra points, time. isn't it? Well, I'm not sure about that, but you can certainly be called a good timekeeper. That's <laughs> for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Ackroyd, you've got one minute, sir. Good luck. Yeah. Okay. Well, I've gone on Blake's obsession with hearing. The second stanza, he talks about the cries and the. And the, the the, the listening. If you look at the third stanza, it's an acrostic. The first letter of each line reads out here. How every and runs reads out here. That is no accident. He wants us to think about listening. This is the poet being really skillful. He doesn't want to just describe it. That's not going to get our attention. 
He wants us to enter his nightmare world. He wants us to listen. So this poem becomes immersive. So we're stuck and we're going through 18th century London with Blake. It's an immersive experience, an authentic experience. By doing this, we're then empathizing with Blake's message and being persuaded by what he says. He wants us to hear what he's saying. There's also a cryptic solution here. If we hear him, if we listen to him, then maybe we can get out of this. If we ignore this warning, then we're stuck in that never ending cycle. Done. He definitely went over. Okay, well, that was actually uh, one minute and two seconds. Oh. So uh, I don't know if DJ Sounds wants to uh, take that on board. Okay, the last person up with what you fools don't know is going to be me, Mr. Birkin. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, okay, so what you two fools have completely failed to realise, and yeah, you know, I'm astounded by it, quite frankly. You know, two people who have been to university and you know call yourself readers and news followers have failed to realise is that basically this poem is about right here, right now, coronavirus. That's what this poem is about. <laughs> Isn't it? Because once again, humans, we, we worry about facades. We worry about what looks good. We care about money. We care about what we own, don't we? We care about chartered things. And what you fools have really failed to recognise is that nothing's changed. Blake wrote this poem 200 years ago, and he's describing the exact place that we live in. But guess what's happened? Nature is more powerful than anything we can build as a human race, and nature has fought us back. And it's fought back in a massive way. And look what it's done. It's completely ruining our world around us. We can't compete with it. Nature is all powerful. <laughs> DJ Sounds, over to you. If only we'd have listened to Blake when he said here. <laughs> So, we'll have to just give me one moment. So, my points are thus. So, out of 10 points, um, I love the idea of the acrostic um, aspect of the poem in stanza three, was it, Mr. Aykroyd? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I love that. I love the idea how it links into everything. But I don't think the, that should have been, it should have been your idea of the he wants us to be immersive uh, within it. Um, should have been your main point, really. So, <laughs> at a six out of ten, Mr. Croyd. For <laughs> uh, the next one, second place, then, is the idea of it's right now, right here, facade. Nothing. <laughs> Yeah, I love the idea that it links back to us and how it's still relevant today and how kind of you linked it back to the coronavirus and I didn't see that kind of connection. That's kind of quite nice. So for you, Mr. Perkins, seven points. And our clear winner is the idea of Cain and Abel. I love the idea of kind of linking it to the religious aspect and how that marked is kind of the mark of man, the mark of uh, Cain and Abel and how it's kind of, kind of come across history uh, how it's transcended time and we're still marked by that evil 
and I think it's something that we should consider when we analyse the poem. So for that, eight points. And well done. That was very good, Mr. Yeah. Yeah, you absolutely deserve a good on that one. That was really I don't think Mr. Ackroyd agrees. I no, I do. I, I would say I, I, I haven't come across that um, interpretation before, and I really enjoyed that. I thought that was excellent, Miss Ray. So, DJ Sounds, would you like to give us the, the overall scores? Yes. So, the overall scores are thus. In last place is Mr. Ackroyd oh, with a total of... <laughs> Sorry, what score did Mr. Ackroyd get overall? 12. Uh, in second place is Mr. Ferkins with a total of 16 points and in first place Miss Ray with a total of 17 points Bit of a shame that on the one week Miss Ray wins, she says that points weren't even important, Mr. Ackroyd. I know, yeah, no. I I've always thought... believed that. I'd be, I'd be above these sort of things, as you well know. Probably deserve Miss Ray, and everyone knows you get nothing for second place. <laughs> <laughs> So how, how does it feel this week then, Mr. Ackroy, finishing bottom? No, that's all right. I, I, I think I got stitched up there, so I'm happy with that because, I, as I said earlier, I would, I would liken myself to Blake being stitched up by the establishment. You, Mr. Ferkins, the establishment, the authority, the evil, corrupt, blacking in church, <laughs> myself, Blake, calling out, calling you out. That's fine. I'm not bitter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not bitter, but um, I will not be in, as part of next week's podcast. <laughs> but I'm not playing again. <laughs> okay, well, thanks very much to our three um, panelists this week. Uh, we've had a really good time discussing this particular poem. We think it's an absolute brilliant one, and we hope you have enjoyed listening to. Like we said, please help us to get it out there. We are tweeting about it, so if you could give us a retweet, um, if you can make sure that you subscribe to this podcast that would be absolutely fantastic we'll be back next week uh, with our next poem Mr Ackroyd have we got any initial indications or is it all going to be a surprise next week yeah this week we'll do Ozymandias by Shelley who was a, an, again a romantic poet it's a, it's a poem that ties into ideas around man versus nature and I think will link quite well certainly to London and in a way to checking out my history so we'll do Ozymandias this week fantastic well for now We've been, this podcast is lit. Thanks very much for stopping by. Have a lovely weekend, everybody. Bye. 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 Yeah, thanks, everyone. Yeah, I'll be signing autographs later. You're too kind. You're too kind, honestly. <laughs>